Well, as we come to the Lord's table, we are coming before a very gracious and generous Father who's not only given us the Son and through Him salvation, but has freely and generously promised to give us all things. But I want to focus on the Son. Uh, just spend some time adoring Christ for who He is using Matthew chapter 2 and uh, verse 11. Uh, in my sermon before Christmas, we looked at the wise men and applied uh, their worship to our own worship and devotions and passion for the Lord. I just want to look at the three gifts mentioned in verse 11. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Have you ever wondered why God moved the Magi to give their particular gifts? Um, as a child, I totally understood the gold, but I didn't understand why they would give frankincense and myrrh to uh, a baby boy. I guess I didn't appreciate uh, perfume. And granted, they were extremely expensive perfumes, and uh, so you could uh, barter them. I, I, I think probably in some ways their gifts uh, helped uh, Joseph and Mary survive in Egypt, and so there was a very practical aspect to what God was providing. But there is a lot more than financial support. Now, first of all, these gifts were a fulfillment of prophecy and helped to identify Jesus as being the prophesied Messiah that people had longed for for generations. This was the beginning of Psalm 72's fulfillment. That psalm said that the kings of all nations would bring gifts to him, would fall down before him, and would worship him. And so these are the first Gentile, uh, Gentiles to do so. Isaiah 60 prophesied that these kings would come on camels, bringing gold and frankincense. Psalm 45 speaks of this great king as being perfumed with myrrh. Song of Solomon speaks of it as coming out of the wilderness with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And anyway, there's a number of Old Testament prophecies and symbols that you could look at that identify these three gifts with the coming Messiah. So there's probably some of that that's involved. But second, and I think more importantly, these three gifts symbolized perfectly Christ's work. Uh, it was not an accident. I think God had orchestrated this to symbolize the fact that Jesus comes as a divine king, as a human priest, and as a sacrifice. And so right from the time of his birth, his death, his work, uh, his personhood was being foreshadowed. And so we'll just quickly go through each one of these. First of all, the gold. That was used throughout the temple, and it had symbolic value always in the temple. It symbolized God, symbolized divinity. And so when you look at the temple furniture, they were made of wood, representing Christ's humanity, but they were covered over with gold, representing the divinity of Christ. It was absolutely essential that Christ have two natures in one person, perfectly united, because as God, he represents God to us. As man, he re represents man uh, to God. And we could not be saved unless he had both natures. And so the gold is a very fitting symbol of his divinity. Well, he's a baby. He's also human, right? And so both are involved then. And it's very, very important that we not think of um, Jesus as if he gave up his godhood. That's a heresy, the canonic heresy. He never emptied himself of his attributes. 
uh, it would be blasphemy for these wise men to have worshipped Jesus unless he was God. And so God had revealed to them the nature of their Messiah. And Jesus never ceased being the all-powerful God, as I've mentioned before. At the very moment that Mary is holding the baby Jesus in her arms, Jesus, as to his divinity, was upholding all things, was upholding Mary herself with the word of his power. And so he uh, was God. And when we renew covenant in the Lord's uh, Supper, we should remember what a miracle it is that um, we are brought into union with God, union with God because of Christ's dual natures, both man and God. Second, frankincense was a symbol that Jesus was a priest. Now, it's true in the Old Testament there are four passages that link uh, frankincense with um, royalty, but most of the passages, 18 in all, link it directly with the temple. In fact, here's what the dictionary says about the symbolism of frankincense. It says, frankincense seemed to be such a characteristic element in the sacrificial system that the term could be used to represent the entire system. For example, Isaiah 43, 23, Jeremiah 6, verse 20, etc. In other words, the dictionary is saying that the scripture uses frankincense as a symbol of the whole priestly ministry of the Lord. This king was a priest king after the order of Melchizedek. And interestingly, a variant for the word frankincense is translated as prayer. It means prayer because uh, prayer and incense were used so much in, in the temple and the, and the tabernacle before that. And so it represents Christ's ongoing uh, priestly ministry. When we come to the Lord's table... Uh, we can rejoice that he is a priest who ever lives to make intercession for us, and without his intercession, we would only face God's wrath. Uh, it is something we glory in. Uh, the Father always hears the prayers of his Son, and his Son is a priest on our behalf. And then finally, the myrrh was a symbol of Christ's death. Uh, not only was he a king and a priest, but he was the sacrificial lamb. Uh, there are only four times that myrrh is connected, four other times that myrrh is connected uh, with um, Jesus, and each time it was connected with his death and burial. I'll just read you one example. In Mark 14, Mary pours a flask of myrrh of nard on Jesus' head, and in verse 4, some of the people complain about the waste, and here's what Jesus says. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what this woman did will also be spoken of as a memorial to her. So in those two verses, he speaks of the pouring out of the myrrh as not only pointing to his burial, but as being the good news, or as the New King James words it, as being the gospel. Okay, the pouring out of the myrrh represents the gospel. It's an aroma that came up to God and says, okay, I'm pleased with Jesus and all who are united to Jesus. He's pleased with you, but it can only come through the agony, through the bitterness. Myrrh has the idea of bitterness, the agony, the death of our Savior. So we should never lose sight of that fact. Um, many times people sentimentalize uh, the story of uh, the birth of Christ, but he was born to die. Uh, he was born to suffer. 
And so it was the means of bringing you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, uh, transforming you from being a despised, hateful, hated criminal into being an adopted son or daughter whom he could love with an unbreakable love. So let's thank the Lord as we come to the table that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Father, we do thank you and bless you for this table that reminds us week by week that we are totally beholden to you for our salvation, totally beholden to Christ and all that he accomplished. And we're grateful for it. We're grateful that Jesus is not only our king, he is our priest who loves us and prays for us, and he was the sacrifice that was sufficient for our salvation. Thank you, Father. We worship you as we come to this table and we partake with a desire to give ourselves to you even as you gave yourself to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.